0: Maybe you've heard of the cartoon that has two middle-aged men walking out of church dressed in nothing but their boxer shorts. And one of them turns to his buddy and says, Wow, that is the best sermon on giving I've ever heard. (laughs) If you are our guest today, perhaps you're visiting with us, I want you to know that we're so glad you're here. We're in the middle of an effort called the 2020 Vision Campaign. Now, I don't know how it works in your home, but in our family, sometimes we have these family talks. You know what I mean? We'll all come together in the living room, and we'll just kind of talk through some really important issues that are relevant to us as a family. Well, that's what we're doing today. We're so glad you're here, and I invite you uh, to listen in, if you're our guest, on this important conversation that we're having as a church family today. Now, after I share for a little while, then I'm going to kind of step away and invite your lead pastor to step up And complete this message. Well, the church in Jerusalem was in trouble. See, that's where it all started. That's where Christianity began. And because those early members of the church were very sacrificial, and scripture says many of them sold houses and lands, and they would bring the money and put it at the apostles' feet. In other words, they trusted their leaders to distribute that money in the wisest way for kingdom purposes. And because of that sacrificial attitude, the church just exploded. And they were soon sending missionaries and going out and witnessing for God all over the known world. But now they were hitting a season of struggle. They had had hard economic times. And... There was a severe drought that was draining their diminishing resources. And so Christianity's best known missionary, we call him the Apostle Paul. That means he was one of the early leaders in the church. He decided to kick off a capital campaign. That's really what he did. He went around to the churches that he had had a hand in starting, and he told them about the plight of the Christians in Jerusalem. And he, he asked them to give financially and to help. And the first place he went was to Macedonia. He had a lot of friends there, a lot of churches he had started. The Philippian church, for instance, had helped him over and over again and helped fund his ministry. And then there were the Bereans and the Thessalonicans and so on. And even though these Macedonian Christians weren't well off, The text says that they gave even beyond what they were able to give. They had a sacrificial spirit and a generous heart. But what they gave wasn't really enough. Paul needed to raise more because the need back in Jerusalem was great. And so now in our text today, he turns his attention to the Christians in Corinth. They weren't as spiritually mature as those in Macedonia, but they were well off. They had resources, and Paul is challenging them to step up and, and make a difference and help the, their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. And so today, as we study this text together in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, I want us to see something about the heart of the Macedonian people and get some insights here that can guide us as we're all going to make a pledge next weekend. More, more important than anything, I hope we'll learn something about the heart that God is looking for as we give because it's all about the heart. The first thing I, I want you to notice that should mark our giving is a grateful heart, a grateful heart. In other words, a heart that's thankful and just honestly appreciative for what God has done. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, we read, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And this grace he's talking about was what allowed them to give generously. Why did they do that? You see, their giving was rooted in a fundamental attitude of gratitude. They were just blown away by what God had done for them. You say, well, what had God done? He had forgiven their sins. He had adopted them into his family. He was changing their lives from the inside out. They had the sweet fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. They had the hope of eternal life in heaven forever and ever. And without what Jesus had done, none of that would be possible. And so Paul reminds them of that in verse 9 here. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's talking about the glories of heaven where Jesus came from, Yet for your sakes, he became poor. He's talking about the incarnation, how Jesus was born in a stable, in a, placed in a manger and lived a, a less than wealthy existence down here so that you through his poverty might become rich. When you think about it, Jesus' story is not rags to riches. It's just the opposite. It's riches to rags. He left the glory of heaven to come here and die an atoning death for our sins. And we have so much to be thankful for because without what Jesus did, we would still be dead in our sins and doomed for eternity. When I was a teenager growing up in Tennessee, I'll never forget, there was an artist uh, who had a song that was my favorite song. The artist's name was Andre Crouch. Some of you who are a bit older may remember Andre Crouch. He, he was uh, uh, featured in Billy Graham Crusades for many years. His music was, was the top-selling Christian music of the era. It, it was just great stuff, wonderful lyrics, and very uplifting. And there was this one song called, To God Be the Glory, and the lyrics go something like this. How can I give thanks for all the things you've done for me, things so undeserved, and yet you give to prove your love for me? The voices of a million angels cannot express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. And then the chorus says, with his blood he saved me, with his power he's raised me, to God be the glory for the things he's done. You know why I love that song so much? Because that's my story. That's what the Lord did for me. And if you're a Jesus follower, guess what? That's your story too. And see, the Macedonians understood that It was because of all that God had done for them that they had a a reason to have a grateful heart. Do you ever just pause and ponder God's goodness to you? Boy, I do on a regular basis. You see, I think that gratitude is the mother of all virtues. God wants us to be a grateful people. Debbie and I are so grateful to God that he's allowed us to be a part of Grace Fellowship Church to have Christian friends that we can rely on and count on, to have the the fellowship that we enjoy here. We're we're so blessed to have servants who serve the church and do the work of the ministry and leaders who lead well and a healthy, positive church spirit and environment. I'll tell you, sometimes I just pause and say, how can I say thanks for the things that you've done? Now, some of you may be new Christians. Maybe you've just been baptized into Christ in the last few months. Maybe you're new to Grace Fellowship, and and this 2020 Vision campaign is the very first time, perhaps, that you've ever contemplated giving an extra mile kind of gift over and above your normal tithes or offerings. Not a one-time gift, not even a a one-week or a one-month gift, but a gift a pledge that you're going to make that'll be over a three-year period above what you normally give. And if you're new to grace or new to Christ, I say to you, hey, just like the Corinthians, just like the Macedonians, now is your time to express your gratitude for what Christ has done. It's time for you to say thanks, really, and and to give sacrificially just as others did for you in the past. You know what I hope our attitude will be next week as we make our pledges on this pledge weekend that's coming up? I hope our attitude will be something like this. We're giving money that we don't even have for people many of whom we've never even met for a God that we love very, very much. And some of you who've been here for 20 years or more, just like Debbie and me, this may be your third, fourth, fifth campaign. For Debbie and me, this is our fifth capital campaign here at Grace. And you know what? It's our opportunity. Now, if that's the case with you, this means it's your opportunity and ours to give generously again. Because we know, we know better than anyone. What blessings God has brought into our lives through our giving in the past. You know, really, the longer we're here, it's easy to take things for granted, but let's express gratitude to the Lord. Perhaps some of you have never been a part of a healthy, growing church where there's constant, ongoing needs to expand and opportunities for impact, and it is costly. John Henry Gallup said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And I think he's absolutely right. Back in the late 1970s, a letter came to Dear Abby. It said, Dear Abby, some people complain that all the church ever wants is money. (laughs) Let me share my experience with you. On June the 2nd, 1940, A little girl was born to us. She cost us money from the moment she was born. And as she grew from babyhood to girlhood, she cost us even more. Her dresses and shoes were more expensive, and we had to have shots and doctor's visits to combat sickness and prevent diseases. She was even more expensive during her high school and college years. She needed long dresses to go to parties and dances. When she went to college, we discovered with a a lot of other college parents that a lot of the expenses are not listed in the catalog. And after graduation, you guessed it, she fell in love and got married. She was married in a church, and that too cost a lot of money. Five months after her marriage, she suddenly sickened, and within a week, She was dead. She hasn't cost us a penny since the day we walked away from her grave. As long as the church is alive, it will cost money. And the more alive the church is, the more money it'll cost. And then this parent concluded with this chilling line. Only a dead church, like a dead child, is no longer expensive. The church is very expensive. Just ask Jesus Christ. It cost him his life. And so when we give next weekend, when we make our pledges, let's do it with grateful hearts, grateful for all God has done for us. But second, I also hope that when you uh, make your pledge next week, it will be out of a generous heart. Speaking of these Macedonian Christians, I want you to notice something else Paul says here in chapter 8, verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Notice uh, their generosity is not marked by the amount Paul is referencing here their sacrifice. And I suppose that's really one of the ways that you would measure generosity, right? By the sacrifice involved. Well, where do you start with that? I believe a good starting place for every genuine Jesus follower is to learn to just become a tither. It's just a great principle to give back as you go. You say, well, pastor, if I don't tithe, will I go to hell? No, but somebody else may. You see, God uses our tithes and offerings to fund the ministry of the church. I'm so glad growing up in Leoma, Tennessee, that somebody was tithing to that little church so they could have a gospel witness So they could get the gospel out to a kid like me. And I'm sure glad that somebody was tithing and that hundreds and hundreds were able to hear the gospel through the witness that came through grace in the last 24 years. In the Old Testament, as you know, God's people were required to give the first fruits of their crops, 10% in the form of a tithe. In the New Testament, it says we're to give as we've been prospered and blessed. So whatever you pledge next weekend to this 2020 Vision campaign, we would ask, dear friends, that it be over and above your regular giving. The truth is, we, we can't rob Peter to pay Paul. If the mission of our church is not properly funded, then the ministry of the church is going to suffer. So if you've not been tithing or giving regularly, this would be a great opportunity, a great motivation to perhaps, perhaps, become a genuine tither for the first time in your life and and give a full 10%. What a great step of faith that is. What a great step of obedience. God deserves the first fruits. But I think another way to evaluate our generosity is just to to honestly get a handle and ask the question, what is my financial situation? No one else can do that for you. Only you can really evaluate that. Proverbs 27 reads, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Now, we're not an agrarian culture like they were. And so our flocks and our herds would be the sum total of our financial portfolio, our situation. How has God blessed you? The pledges we make next week ought to really stretch us and grow us in some way. Hear me clearly. Our desire is not that you would make decisions that would keep you from paying your bills. I pray that the pledge you make will allow you to meet all of your obligations, pay your bills, and still make a significant sacrifice as God extends and multiplies and stretches the dollars that you do keep. And as you determine that amount, pray and ask God for confirmation. In every campaign, all four of the previous campaigns, Debbie and I have prayed for God to give us what that number should be. And then we, we come together and we compare notes on that and just ask the question, Lord, what do you want to do through me? Or what do you want to do through us as a couple or as a family? And remember that when you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. Generously. I guess what I'm really saying is, please, friends, please don't just come to our services next weekend. And by the way, it's going to be one of the most exciting weekends ever in the history of grace. We're going to be connected by technology, all the campuses together. It's going to be a service like we've never had before. I think you're going to not only enjoy it, I think God is going to inspire and bless every one of us next weekend. But please, Please don't just walk in and with a flippant or cavalier spirit, just throw a number down on that pledge card you're going to receive next week. Please don't do it that way. Prayerfully ponder this all week long. God is interested in your heart. That's what giving is all about. And ask God to lead you to a generous amount and give a sense of peace about that, a sense of confirmation. If you're single, I would encourage you to find a close, trusted friend who knows the Lord. If you you have a friend like that, and you don't need to share the number you're feeling led to, but just talk about kind of what God is laying on your heart and how he's growing your faith and stretching you. And if you're a married couple, I would urge you, like Debbie and I have done, to talk about this together, pray about it together together. Compare what you feel God is leading you to give. And if you don't agree on what that figure is, then you may need to be praying about this all week long. And and if you still haven't come to an agreement and your numbers are are kind of pretty far apart, as you approach next weekend, I would really encourage you to commit to the lower figure if you're a married couple. Here's why. Why? Because harmony in the home is very, very important. Harmony in the marriage. And you leave it to God to, de- to deal with the Scrooge in the family, be it ever so severely. All right? Just kidding. Kind of. Just leave that to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11 read, Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's talking about the blessings that God brings to those people who give out of grateful and generous hearts. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving What he's saying there is as God continues to bless you, he wants your life to become a channel, not a clog. He wants it to become a river and not a reservoir where you just hoard it for yourself. So please hear me today. As you give, God will bless your tithes and offerings. He may bless you by increasing your income. He may bless you by reducing your expenses. He may bless you by making your household appliances go further or protecting your health and keeping you healthy and vibrant. He may keep your car out of the shop, but make no mistake, God blesses us in his way in his time. And no matter what amount you come up with, I hope that when you give next weekend, when you make your pledge, it will be out of a grateful and a generous heart. Well, it's very important to me in this 2020 campaign that you really hear from the heart of your lead pastor. So please listen up, give your attention as I kind of step away here, And as your lead pastor comes now and completes this message.
1: Well, there is one final area. This is the third and last aspect that we want to go over in this message. And that is a surrendered heart. Pastor X spoke of a grateful and generous heart. Now let us look at a surrendered heart. Let's see what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 have to say. It says, speaking again of the Corinthians, entirely on their own, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. The Macedonians urgently pleaded, and that literally means they were begging for an opportunity and a chance to give. That is an amazing attitude to have, don't you think? They wanted to give more. Basically, they were saying, could you please pass the offering basket one more time? What an exciting attitude they had. And what an excitement uh, uh, attitude they had towards this campaign that Paul was talking about. And in the past few weeks, many of you have come to me with that same excitement. Telling me how excited you are about the 2020 Vision Campaign. And all the goals that we want to accomplish as a church. You've shared with me how you are praying with your uh, spouse or family members to see how much you want to plead, and that is, that is really exciting. You know, I-, I wanted to share with you, just for a couple of minutes, on creative ways in which people here at Grace have found ways to, to give and, uh, and, and give pledges in past campaigns. For example, there was a family that had a car payment and this car payment was going to come to an end right before a certain campaign was going to start. And they decided, instead of buying another new car, just to drive their old car and use that monthly car payment to go towards that campaign. There was a teacher who usually didn't teach summer school and she decided to teach for three summers in a row and used that as her pledge. Through that effort, she was able to uh, pledge $15,000 towards that campaign. There was another family that used to hire a cleaning service to come to their home and and clean the house, and they would pay $75 a week. Well, they got together, and they decided that the kids and the dad were all going to pitch in so that they didn't have to pay to this cleaning service. And instead, that money, they were going to make it their pledge to that campaign. And through three years, they were able to give to the church close to $12,000. And the whole family was involved in that sacrifice for their church. Some people uh, refinanced their homes at a lower interest rate. And there was this man who, was going to retire early. He really didn't want to do it. But because there was a campaign here at Grace, he decided to work for three more years. And he used part of that extra money to go towards a campaign and part of it to beef up his uh, retirement investments. The creativity of people here at Grace is amazing. But... Let me just add this at this point. Many people are going to be making different sacrifices. And the last thing that we want to do is to be the judge of the level of surrender that people may have for this campaign. Whatever you pledge, whatever you want to give, is between you and the Lord. Pastor Rex Keener is not going to know what your pledge is I will have no idea of how much you are pledging either, unless you choose to tell me. So this is between you and the Lord. And you know, if if you decide to sacrifice in some particular way, and a friend of yours is not sacrificing in the same way, let us not look down on that person. If you decide to keep driving your old car, with 200,000 miles in it, put together barely with duct tape, because you're so excited about this vision. You're excited about all the, uh, the ways that we're gonna be helping people in our community, uh, around the world, through our missions partners. You're excited about the new campus in Schenectady. You're excited about the uh, updates in, in Latham, in Half Moon. But next week, your friend comes in and parks his brand new shiny Camaro next to your car. Don't look down on him. Don't look down on her because we have no idea in which other areas that person may be sacrificing and surrendering to be part of this campaign. Let us just worry about ourselves. James Hirsch has this quote. He says, What matters is not the size of the gift, but the difference that it makes in the life of the giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 reads, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, Christ is not interested in seeing you as a form of revenue. Christ is interested in you. He's interested in me because he died for you and he died for me. So notice how the Macedonians Christians gave themselves first to the Lord. They demonstrated an all-out, sold-out commitment to God. These Macedonians, they didn't just show us an example of giving, but they show us an example of living. And again, what, what the size of the gift is not what matters but the difference that it makes in the life of the giver. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you can find it in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moth and rust destroy, and the thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where the moth and the rust do not destroy, and the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Many of you know that I am from Peru. Shocker, right? (laughs) And growing up in Peru, I, I learned what this means when Jesus says not to store up treasures on earth where the moth and the rust destroy it. You know, when I was a kid, back in the late 80s, uh, Peru went through a catastrophic economic crisis. We had hyperinflation, which meant that the prices of things, of goods, will soar in a monthly, weekly, daily basis. There were months where inflation would go past 100%. Our currency was getting devalued almost daily. I remember when gas went up overnight by 400%. Could you imagine that? You wake up tomorrow and a gallon of gas is all of a sudden $14? Or some food staples went up overnight, too, by 200, 300 percent. And I remember the Secretary of the Treasury giving a, an address to the nation. He wanted to make a case for pretty drastic measures that needed to happen. And he held a half a million bill. And he said, five years ago, you could purchase a home with this amount of money. And today, you can barely purchase a tube of toothpaste. I remember my parents, as soon as they had some money on their hands, they would rush out and, and buy groceries, buy essentials for the house because they had no idea of knowing how much that money would devalue in the following month, week, or day. If they didn't spend it, it would literally feel like this money was melting away on their hands. And there was no way that they could know exactly how bad it was gonna be in the future. But as Christians, we have insider information we know that the currency of this world well, one day will lose its, its value, either when we die or when Jesus comes back. And when we realize how finite this world is, it makes it a lot easier to be generous and to give with a surrendered and willing heart. I have held many things in my hand, said Martin Luther King, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So what we're going to ask you to do this week is to count your blessings and pray this prayer like Pastor Rex said. God, what do you want to do through me? And that's it. I'm confident that God is going to answer that prayer. I'm confident that he will reveal to you what to do. And if you're obedient as you pray, as you pledge money, something will happen. You you will pledge money that you yet don't have, for people that you don't yet know, for a God that you love very much. So next week, when you or someone in your family walks down to the front with your pledge card, I pray that that number in that card will represent a sacrificial gift from a grateful Generous and surrendered heart. How can we not give when God has given us so much? And those are the words that Paul uses as he comes to the end of his capital campaign speech to the Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 15, when he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We want to give back to God for everything that He has given us. But there is something, there is something that He wants from you more than just money. He wants your life. This goes a lot deeper than just finances. He doesn't want your dollars, He wants your desires. He doesn't want your checks. He wants your choices. He doesn't want your lip service. He wants your heart. He wants you. God wants you. And that is why we have talked about the heart this week. Because if your heart belongs to the Lord, then your schedule your time, your priorities, your wallet, your talents. And the rest of your life will follow naturally. Let us pray. Father, tonight we are so grateful for your goodness. We're so grateful for all that you have done for us. And Father, we declare tonight as a church that we want to draw closer and closer to you. Father, help us to give everything in our lives to you. We want to completely surrender our heart to your Lordship. And Lord, as we as a church step in into this new season that you have for us, I pray that you will honor the giving and the sacrifices of our church And that you will continue to guide us in this vision that you have for us, Lord. Use us to make more and better disciples. Continue to use us to reach to the ends of the world with the power of your gospel. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.